Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Becerra v. Empire Health Foundation for Valley Hospital Medical Center. Certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued November 29, 2021. Cited June 24, 2022. If you'd like to support me or the podcast, find a PayPal link in the show notes or... Uh, email me at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. Once a person turns 65 or has received federal disability benefits for 24 months, he becomes entitled to benefits under Part A of Medicare. That's uh, 42 U.S.C. Section 426A through B. Uh, Part A provides coverage for, among other things, inpatient hospital treatment. See Section 1395D. A. Medicare pays hospitals a fixed rate for such treatment based on the patient's diagnosis regarding, uh, regardless of the hospital's actual cost and subject to certain adjustments. Sections 1395WWD 1 through 5. Um, one such adjustment is the disproportionate sh- share hospital, DSH, adjustment which provides higher-than-usual rates to hospitals that serve higher-than-usual percentage of low-income patients. To calculate the DSH adjustment, the Department of Health and Human Services adds together two statutorily described fractions, the Medicare fraction, which represents the proportion of a hospital's Medicare patients who have low incomes, and the Medicaid fraction, which represents the proportion of a hospital's total patients who are not entitled to Medicare and have low incomes. Together, those fractions produce the disproportionate patient percentage, which determines whether a hospital will receive a DSH adjustment and how large it will be. Not all patients who qualify for Medicare Part A have their hospital treatment paid for by the program. Non-payment may occur, for example, if a patient's stay exceeds Medicare's 90-day cap per spell of illness, see Section 1395D, or if a patient is covered by a private insurance plan, see Section 1395YB2CAPA. Such limits on Medicare's coverage prompt the question raised here, whether patients whom Medicare insures but does not pay for on a given day are patients who for such days were entitled to Medicare Part A benefits for purposes of computing a hospital's disproportionate patient percentage. Section 1395 WWD5CAPF6I. I'm going to stop reading some of these. Um, a 2004 HHS regulation says yes, if the patient meets the basic statutory criteria for Medicare, i.e., is over 65 or disabled, then the patient counts in the denominator and, if poor, in the numerator of the Medicare fraction. Respondent. Empire Health Foundation challenged that regulation as inconsistent with the statute. The Ninth Circuit agreed. That court focused on the statute's use of two different phrases, entitled to Medicare Part A benefits and eligible for Medicaid assistance. The Ninth Circuit read the latter phrase to mean that that a patient qualifies for Medicaid and the former phrase to mean that a patient has an absolute right to payment from Medicare. The court granted certiorari to resolve a conflict between the Ninth Circuit 
and two other circuit courts, which had approved of HHS's regulation. Uh, Supreme Court holds. Uh, decision is reversed and remanded, and Justice Kagan delivered the opinion. In calculating the Medicare fraction, individuals entitled to Medicare Part A benefits are all those qualifying for the program, regardless of whether they receive Medicare payments for part or all of a hospital stay. HHS's regulation is consistent with the text, context, and structure of the DSH provisions. The agency has interpreted the phrase entitled to benefits in those provisions to mean just what it means throughout the Medicare statute qualifying for benefits. And counting everyone who qualifies for Medicare benefits in the Medicare fraction and no one who qualifies for those benefits in the Medicaid fraction accords with the statute's attempt to capture, through two separate measurements, two different segments of a hospital's low-income patient population. Empire's textual argument has a two-part structure echoing the Ninth Circuit. Empire primarily contends that the words entitled and eligible have different meanings. According to Empire, to be eligible for a benefit is to be qualified to seek it. To be entitled to a benefit means instead to have an absolute right to its payment. But throughout the Medicare statute, entitled to benefits is essentially a term of art meaning qualifying for benefits, i.e. being over 65 or disabled. And in the end, Empire basically concedes that point it must devise a way to give entitled to benefits a different meaning in the fraction descriptions than everywhere else in the Medicare statute. So Empire shifts gears, relying now on the parenthetical phrase, for such days, to transform the usual statutory meaning of entitled to benefits to something different and novel. But those three little words do not accomplish what Empire would like having the much less radical function of excluding days of a patient's hospital stay before he qualifies for Medicare. The Medicare statute explicitly states that every individual who has attained age 65 and is entitled to ordinary Social Security payments, and every individual under age 65 who has been entitled to federal disability benefits for at least 24 months shall be entitled to Medicare Part A benefits. This broad meaning of entitlement coexists with limitations on payment. The entitlement to benefits, the statute repeatedly says, is an, an, is an entitlement to payment under specified conditions. So, a person remains entitled to benefits even if he has run into one of the statute's conditions, such as the 90-day cap on inpatient hospital services. For example, the statute twice refers to patients who are entitled to benefits under Part A but have exhausted benefits for inpatient hospital services. And there's some statutory numbers there I'm not going to read. In thus describing Part A entitlement, the statute reflects the complexity of health insurance. An insured who hits some limit on coverage for, say, eye care is still insured. His policy will pay for more eye care in the next coverage period, and meanwhile, he will pay for his knee replacement. Uh, if entitled to benefits instead bore empire's meaning, Medicare beneficiaries would lose important rights and protections, such as the ability to enroll in other Medicare programs, um, statute numbers. Empire's interpretation would also make a heart, 
a hash of provisions designed to inform Medicare beneficiaries of their benefits. See section 1395B2a, and again, I'm not going to read those. Uh, and to protect beneficiaries from misleading marketing materials, see more statutes, Congress could not have intended to write a statute whose safeguards would apply or not apply or fluctuate constantly based on the happenstance of whether Medicare paid for hospital care on a given day. Empire concedes that its interpretation cannot be applied throughout the Medicare statute. To get around this, Empire claims that the parenthetical in the patients uh, in Patients who, parenthetical, for such days, and parenthetical, were entitled to Part A benefits, um, section numbers again, converts the usual statutory meaning of entitled to benefits to something different, actually receiving payment. That slight phrase, however, cannot bear so much interpretive weight. Instead, the parenthetical works, as HHS says, hand-in-hand with the ordinary statutory meaning of entitled to benefits. It directs HHS to count only those individuals who qualify for Medicare on a particular day. So if a patient turns 65 on the 15th day of a 30-day hospital stay, HHS will count only 15 days. The structure of the relevant statutory provisions reinforces the conclusion that entitled to benefits means a qualifying f- or means qualifying for benefits. The statute recompense- recompenses hospitals for serving two different low-income populations, low-income Medicare patients and low-income non-Medicare patients. HHS's reading of entitled comports with this structure. A low-income Medicare patient will always count in the Medicare fraction. That is so, regardless of whether the Medicare program is actually paying for a, a day of his care, because that fact has no relationship to his financial status. Empire's interpretation, by contrast, fits poorly with the statutory structure. Its who paid for a day of care test has no relationship to a patient's financial status. So, on Empire's view, a patient could phase in and out of Medicare, the Medicare fraction regardless of income. Empire responds by asserting that any low-income person excluded from the Medicare fraction, say because of an exhaustion of benefits, would get counted instead in the Medicaid fraction. But even if that is true, Empire's scheme would result in patients ping-ponging back and forth between the two fractions based on the happenstance of actual Medicare payments. In any event, Empire is too quick to claim that those who, on its view, are tossed from the Medicare fraction for non-income-based reasons like exhaustion of benefits would still wind up in the Medicare fraction or Medicaid fraction Applying Empire's reading of four such days, a low-income patient who has exhausted his coverage would not get counted at all in either fraction, but he would remain just as low-income and impose just as high costs on the hospital treating him. Empire's only response is to insist that its interpretation must be right because it usually, though not always, leads to higher DSH payments. But the point of the statute is not to pay hospitals the most money possible. It's to compensate them for serving a disproportionate share of low-income patients. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Justice Kagan delivered the opinion of the court, in which Justices Thomas, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Barrett joined. Justice Kavanaugh filed a dissenting opinion, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Alito, 
Gorsuch, uh, Alito and Gorsuch join. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, find the PayPal link in the show.